Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. And uh, we do have a few visitors this morning. So uh, on our this is a communion Sunday, and we change things up a little bit. We have an introduction, and then the sermon, and then this will follow with a time of praise, an opportunity to praise, and then we'll have we'll share the Lord's Supper together today. On our communion Sundays, once a month, we do something a little different from the pulpit, and that is take a break from our our expository teaching through a book. And I usually pick a series or a topic to preach about. And this year, we're going through our covenant class material. Um, covenant class material would be what you would attend or read through and meet with me if you were interested in reading the church. So it's not, the sermons are not following it word for word. I've taken a lot of liberties in our sermons. Um, some of this you will not find in our covenant class material. But that's just the, um, you got it? You got it. That's just the, uh, the, the format that we're taking. Um, and the reason that I chose the covenant class material for this year is because, mainly because of COVID. You know, COVID just, I feel like, really fragmented us. And this is a great opportunity for us as a church to kind of get back on the same track, to be on the same page, to, to be of one mind as Scripture encourages us to be in. Our covenant class material, of course, it informs us of who we are, you know, how we got here. We talked about church, our church history. And what we believe, because these are important, because we order our church service and we make decisions on a, almost a daily basis, church decisions based on what we believe. And we find what we believe in God's word, in the one and only true God who speaks truly. So that's our content, that's our resource for who we are, what we do, and why we do the things we do. In fact, it is God who is the subject of our sermon this morning. The last time we talked a little bit about our church history. Where does New Covenant Fellowship come from? How did we even get here? How did we come into existence? And I spent some time talking about that. And then we are now in our doctrine section of our covenant class. Exactly what do we believe? Different churches believe different things. Different religions believe different things. And it's those beliefs that define them. Well, the last topic we talked about was Holy Scripture, God's revelation. And just briefly, you will recall that the way we can know God and God is knowable is two primary ways that God reveals himself to his creatures. And that is through natural revelation, what we see in nature, and special revelation, what he has inspired mankind to put in writing. And this shares his heart and his thoughts in ways that natural revelation do not. But make no mistake, what we have here in creation, God is the creator of all of this. And therefore, it, it speaks about his character, his person, as being the kind of God that he is. And he tells us in Romans chapter 1... That though he is invisible, his attributes and divine nature are evident. It, it's a form. The heavens declare the glory of God. This is 
creation, the wonders of it and the beauty of it and even the terror of it. It is a form of communicating who God is. And just like your work, the work that you do says something about you. The work, God's created work, says something about him. And it speaks so clearly that God informs us that all man is without excuse. So what creation tells us about God is that he's so powerful, so glorious, so awesome that he is worthy of worship. Worship is due him. Because we can't fathom who could bring, who and how could somebody bring all of this into existence. And not just what we see at the moment, but all of the workings behind it. All of the laws of nature, everything that is happening in in creation in a split second is unfathomable. And so God is so big and holy other, we deserve to worship him. But Romans, or he deserves us to worship him. But Romans also tells us something about ourselves, not just about God. And that is, though it's very evident to the point where we're not excuse, we're without excuse, we know that something this awesome deserves our respect and adoration. We take that truth that we know and Romans tells us we push it down. We suppress it. We don't let it serve surface. We rebel. We run from it. We don't want to be accountable to this because of our sin nature. And so that puts us at odds with this awesome holy God that has brought us into existence. So we looked at that doctrine of Holy Scripture and how important it is to know God and especially through His Holy Word because we learn things about God in His Word that He's revealed to us that you cannot learn by looking at the Grand Canyon, by staring at the stars, or by studying the worker ant. There's things that you just can't know. And so God in His graciousness... And His mercy, He gives us this good gift of His Holy Word. And in this, we find out what we need to know. Not everything there is to know, but Scripture tells us we know all that we need to know. We find out about God. We find out about ourselves, our own origins, our purpose, how we get meaning in life, what we should be doing with our lives. Everything that we need to know, says God, is found. And He has graciously shared these things with us. We would not come to these conclusions. And so we have a tremendous gift in the word of God. And we talked about doctrines. Doctrines are just the statements, the truth statements that God has revealed in his holy word. And in our covenant class, I list 12. And these 12 we've called orthodox beliefs or orthodoxy. And these are... Twelve of what most theologians or Christians have boiled Christianity down to. These are the most important doctrines. There are a lot of things out there in the, in the Bible that God speaks to. But these, the orthodoxy, we've looked at as, say, the goalposts of Christianity. And as long as you're punting within these things, then you are defined as a true follower of how God has revealed himself. But when we start getting outside of these goalposts, then we're no longer considered a true follower or understanding 
of what God has revealed to us regarding Christianity. So today, we're going to look at God, we're going to study God, we're going to think hard about God. I warned you in my uh, sermon notes to get a good night's sleep, because you need to be alert. It's impossible to talk about God without putting our minds in motion, because he, He's so incredible. And to even, I'm not even going to scratch the surface, like I'm going to try to pack as much as I can in here this morning and yet not really even scratch the surface. You know that there are volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of information uh, about God, and it's taken right here from Scripture. And you just can't condense it but so much, but I'm going to take a swing at that this morning because we are here to live for His glory. And my prayer is that we would not in our flesh suppress the truths of God that we hear, but that we would wholeheartedly embrace what God has revealed about Himself in Holy Scripture this morning. So, with that said, let's look at the doctrine of God. So, just yesterday, a, a self, I heard a um, self-taught theologian by the name of Lisa Montagna uh, say, I don't even know if she's in here. She's probably in the nursery with Ava. Probably a good thing. Anyway... <laughs> She just, she just said in, a, in one of our random conversations, you can't love God unless you know God. I thought, hmm. And I knew I was going to preach on God the next day. So I thought, okay, I think I could use that. But it's true. And it just is practical and common sense. And we like to talk about how much we love God, the love of God. It's a huge topic in Christianity. But can we love a God that we don't properly know? Do we really know God? Well, let's dip our toe into this. My scripture, just to, as a springboard, this morning is Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. I will tell you up front that I'm going to read a few quotes. Most of them are up front, but they're going to be back to back. And I'm going to read a few quotes um, about God and the doctrine of God. If somebody came up to you on the streets and said, I know you're a Christian. Who is God? What would you tell them? I mean, you know God and you love God, right? But who is God? How do you describe God? I'm sure different things would come to the forefront of your mind. Here's what, here's how we stated in our covenant class. And this is a probably about the simplest explanation that I think you can you can read. So who is God? Simply put, He's a spiritual divine person who is eternal, sovereign, and all sufficient. He is one in number, but also three distinct persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are one in essence or substance. And equal in all things. God is comprehensible in some things and incomprehensible in others. The person of God challenges our minds as we discover that his authoritative word reveals that he is one completely unified deity and yet three distinct persons. And we call this the Trinity. The word is not found in the Bible but is 
biblical in the sense that it expresses clear biblical teaching of how God reveals himself. And the Bible presents God as three distinguishable persons commonly referred to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's just like to, to get us started thinking about all the different attributes of God, his person, who he is, not just what he does, but what is what is his character. And you could go on, you almost have to choose a, a point to stop talking about God because one thought triggers another thought, which triggers another thought. But I want to fit as much as we can. So let me read another description of this. And I hope that as I read through these and we hear about who God is, that it blesses you as it has blessed me. When I prepared this and then as I reviewed it yesterday and then again this morning, there's a, there's a, a sense of, of edification that takes place just by hearing who God is. Now, we exist, you know, as a church for three primary reasons to exalt God, to edify the saints and then to evangelize the lost. And as we as I read this, God will be exalted And I'd be surprised if you were not edified because this is the God that we gather to worship. This is the God that we've given our lives to. This is the God that we've entrusted the eternity of our souls to. Here's a description from Paul Tripp. It's just a little bit longer than the one in our um, covenant class. There is only one true God. He is infinite in being and perfection. He is invisible without body or parts. He is unchanging, immense, eternal, and beyond human comprehension. He is almighty, most wise, most holy, completely free, and absolute, working everything according to the counsel of his own unchanging and righteous will and for his own glory. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, and long-suffering. He is abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. He is just and fearsome in His judgments. He hates sin and will not clear the guilty. God is the source of all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of Himself. He alone is all-sufficient in and unto Himself. He does not stand in need of any of the creatures that he made, nor does he acquire any glory from them. Rather, he reveals his glory in, by, to, and on them. He alone is the fountain of all being. All things are from him, through him, and to him. He is sovereign over all things to do by, for, and on whom, whatever he pleases. He sees all things. Nothing is ever hidden from him. God's knowledge is infinite, without error, without dependence on anything he created. For God, there's no chance or uncertainty. All his purposes, works, and commands are holy. He is due whatever worship, service, and obedience he is pleased to require from angels, people, and every other creature. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons in one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is neither begotten nor proceeds from anyone. 
The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. And these are just attributes of God that we don't, we're not used to hearing all at one time. But this is the God that we worship and the God that we serve. And, and he's, as we learn in Corinthians, he's, he pushes us to know him. He stretches our minds and he wants to expand our knowledge of him. One more, this is a little shorter. This comes from Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 2. And I see these almost like as a, as a proper introduction for God because this is who He is. Could you imagine if somebody introduced you in this way? This is your God. He is holy in every way possible in all He is and in all He does. He's the source of everything that exists and He does not need anything that exists. His knowledge of everything is always accurate and he is forever without the need of being taught anything. Well, he just left us all in the dirt there, right? He is never surprised, never unaware, never unprepared, never confused, and never distraught. He never needs to discover and he never needs to unlearn or relearn anything. What he thinks, purposes, declares, and does is always right and true. His judgments are never mistaken biased or wrong. Everything that exists depends on him for its existence. He alone sits on the throne of the universe and he rules it according to his all-wise and holy will. His perfect rule is not dependent on the instruction or counsel of anyone. He does what he pleases and what he pleases is always right and best. He is the source and definition of goodness, love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. He is holy and righteous, while at the same time being patient and tender. All good gifts, physical and spiritual, come from Him. He hates sin, but forgives all who come to Him in heartfelt confession. God is a trinity of three persons, but all of one substance. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are not the delineation of three functions, but are three distinct persons. The Trinity is the ultimate community functioning in perfect unity and love without argument, debate, or disagreement. Our God is a big, powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God. He's flawless. He's, he's perfect. In one sense, He's knowable, and in another sense, He's too holy other, too big, too wise to be completely knowable. But that's how, when, when you approach such a big topic or a big person, how do you begin to describe this person? Well, the theologians usually break God as attributes that he reveals to us down into two different categories, those that can be communicated or un understood and then the incomprehensible. So we, our minds can only go so far, so to speak, in grasping even what we've just read or heard this morning. So there's one sense that God is very knowable. In fact, God wants to be known. That's why he graciously reveals himself to us, even the desires of his heart, the beginning and the end. But God is so grand that there are things that we just cannot fully understand. Now, what we know is fully true, but we're not able to know everything there is to know about God.
because he's infinite and we are finite. We have, even the best of us have limitations. And because we're limited, then we have to limit our understanding. There's just things that we can't completely relate to about God. I've read several of them this morning. Uh, We can track him in some areas, but only so far. In other words, he's over our heads in a lot of ways. Psalm 145.3 Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And yet we know him. Isn't that incredible? Like, he's so big and in one sense unknowable, and yet if you have sincerely confessed Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into you, He indwells you, He gives your mind proper understanding of who God is, and you can know Him personally. We can know Him corporately. As a matter of fact, we need each other to even understand God in a better way. It's arrogant When you think about how big God is, it is arrogant for me to think that I can get him and comprehend him all on my own without your help or the help of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in God's plan, we all bring something to the table in our comprehension of God. There's an important part in the body of Christ. And so even as we gather as the body of Christ, as different people stand before you and lead you or teach you in Sunday school, we are understanding God in a better way than we could if we just sequestered ourselves in a closet and said, I don't need anybody. I just need God. That's not how the world or the church was organized. God begs to differ. No, we do need each other. We're not codependent, but we are We are interdependent on one another, even in our understanding of these lofty concepts. So God reveals the truths we need to know, and we we are so honored to know so that we can know him. And again, he wants to be known. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 addresses this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. So what is God, what kind of boasting does God approve of? That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God wants to be known. He wants us to know about His justice. He wants us to know about His glory. He wants us to know deeply and experience His love. So, if we divide the character of God and the attributes of God into the communicable and the incommunicable, where do we land? Like, what what kind of things are we talking about that we just can kind of track God only so far because He's just in a league of His own? Well, one example is his eternity. So we are eternal beings, but we have origins. We're not eternal like God is. He has no past. He's, he's, he is above time. He's, he's a part of it, but it in, in no way restricts him. And so though we will live forever, we had a beginning. Um, 
He can be everywhere at one time and in time. He has no limitations in that way. I can't relate with that. I mean, they try to make movies about that kind of stuff. But it's hard to fathom the ability that God has. He can see all moments of time equally vividly. Some of you are scratching your heads like, man, never even thought about that. God is incredible. He's always existed. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So we can understand things like his love, for instance, that's communicable, because we were created to love one another. Uh, we, we're all about romance. Um, so we can understand that in God is love as well. But his eternity or another one, his immutability, that means God is never changing. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Because there's absolutely no need for when you're perfect in every way, in every sense, in every degree, there's no need for change. He has attained perfection. We can't understand that or his omnipresence. That means he's everywhere present. He's not creation, as some religions teach, that God is the tree. This is all just one being, a living, breathing being. God is not creation, but he is above creation. He's everywhere in creation, everywhere present. And we can be, as you well known, in one place at one time. That's why we make the choice to come here as opposed to being somewhere else. We can only be one place at one time. So if we want to gather together and worship God on a certain day and a certain time, this is where we need to be. God is omnipresent. Thinking about how nothing, because he's omnipresent, he doesn't miss anything. He just doesn't miss anything. Because he's omnipresent, in reality, though we can rebel against him, push him away, Try not to think about him, see him, close our eyes. We cannot escape God. We just cannot escape God. Now listen to this sobering description of God's omnipresence when it comes to judgment. Out of the book of Amos chapter 9. If they dig into Sheol from there, shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. So if you're God's friend, this is This is good news because he's not seeking us in that. But this is also, if we are not confessors of Christ, why it's a fearful thing to be under the wrath of God. There's no escaping it. We also know about his his independence or what fancy word is his aseity. God 
does not need anything. We are very needy. We're dependent on creation. He doesn't need anything. He just brought it in to existence for his own glory. Also, his unity. What we mean by it, some theologians call it simplicity. And what they mean by that is that though God has all of these attributes, they work in perfect harmony with one another. They are in perfect unity. One attribute doesn't overpower the other, so to speak. It doesn't rob from the other. His justice and His mercy do not rob from His love, His tender heart. So God is love. God is light. They don't compete with one another, but God is always these things. He's always holy. So all of these things work, all of these attributes work in perfect harmony. So these are things that are out of our league, but we're appreciative of. And it's very generous for God to, at least to our ability to understand these things, share these things with us. Because you know, there's a lot of underworkings and things that go on behind the scenes. We don't have to know how it all happens, but we know the God that makes it happen. And sometimes that's enough. Well, what are some things that we can understand about God that we can relate to, say, on a more uh, daily basis? Well, I've already talked about His love. We can relate to love. So when God says, I am love, or He says, as I have loved you, love one another, we get that. And we get the command to love one another. We, we know in our hearts when we have love and when we don't. Uh, we also um, are spiritual beings. We have spirits. And Scripture says that we can communicate to God in our minds, our hearts, our souls, or our spirits. So we can relate to that when Scripture says God is spirit. Uh, knowledge. God's all-knowing. Wise. Truthfulness. We spend much of our lives trying to gain knowledge. We, I'd like to think we are trying to be wiser than we were last year. Wisdom is a very beneficial thing. And truthfulness, we know what it's like. We can relate to that. It's a terrible feeling to be lied to. And it's just, it's, it's good and it builds relationships when we speak the truth, the truth, the truth, truth, truth to one another. Like the moral attributes that we, we share. Goodness, love, mercy, holiness, peace, righteousness, jealousy. Does God get jealous? Yeah. Jealousy can be a good thing. Have you ever been jealous? I would say you're probably not human if you haven't experienced some element of jealousy. And wrath. Does God get angry? Have you ever been angry? Not anybody in here, but everybody else in the world probably has at one time, right? See, God... He has emotions. He has feelings. I get that. There are things that infuriate him. There are things that infuriate me. Or his attributes of uh, purpose, his will. We understand having will, desires, freedom. Uh, at least some powers that are given to us by God to be able to accomplish things. 
perfection, uh, beauty, grace, blessedness, or at least we know right from wrong and and uh, error from truth to some degree. So these are things that we can relate to about God and how grateful I am for those. But as we wind down, what does all this mean? What do we do with all this? Other than have a headache from trying to think so hard about it. And what does it mean for our lives? When I consider the, how big God is, I say with the psalmist in 113.5, Who is like the Lord our God? That's what I come away from this thinking. Who is like our God? There is nothing. I haven't seen, I haven't read any books. I haven't seen any movie, movies in our entertainment era. Nothing is like the God of Holy Scripture. And that conclusion just leaves me awestruck. Knowing that, that, that this God has me in the palm of his hand. That he knows the things that I worry so much about, he already has answers to. The burdens that I carry. He has a plan for as messy as this world is. And, and it's not just rumors of wars now. It's wars going on in the world. And yet God has it all figured out. He has it all meted out. He knows the beginning from the end. And everything will culminate in, in a cacophony of of glory to God. That's how. That's where we're headed. So nothing. Has existed. Or will ever exist. That is remotely. Like him. There's this huge chasm. Though we have similarities. There's a huge chasm between. Who we are as creation, creatures. And our creator. There's just nothing. Like him. There's a book. I read years ago. By J.B. Phillips. Phillips entitled, Your God is Too Small. And what you find when you read this book is that a lot of times we think that we're not believing in God enough. He's not big enough. Really, it's that He's too small in our thinking. He's too small in our thinking. What happens is we try to fit Him into our finite minds and thoughts and thinking. We try to pull him down so that we can make sense of him in a comfortable way. And therefore, we have to discard some of these, say, incommunicable attributes, some of the, the wonderful things about him that makes him God. We want to try to package him down and synthesize him into our own mind so that we can explain him and make sense. And when we do that, we cut ourselves short of the awesomeness of God. Because he's a glorious God, not in part, but in full. Glorious in every way. His glory is a glorious thing. And God reveals his glory to us in ways that he sees fit. In, in his word, well, we have creation, but in his word, he gives us word pictures. He'll say, God is light. And you can relate to that because of the practical benefits and because of our knowledge of Light. He's just a worthy, worthy God. And here's what happens when you take the time to sit and think about your place in this world and God's place and being. I'll read a few verses from Isaiah 40. And this is God, if you will, reminding us of the difference. 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice or taught him knowledge or showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust of the scales. And the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What a marvelous, great, beautiful, perfect, glorious God that we have the privilege of worshiping. We have this privilege of being on this journey, a relationship where there's always, always room for growth. There's always space so that things can get better, so that our understanding can be tighter and more accurate, so that our loyalty and obedience to Him just makes more sense to us. It's this high view of God that He gives and shares Himself in. And... As difficult as it may be, it is our Christian duty to maintain in our minds to the best of our ability this high view of God that He has revealed to us and proclaims. And it is also our duty as New Covenant Fellowship, as fellow believers, to proclaim God in the way that He has revealed Himself. We're here to grow. In our understanding, we're here to grow in our love and our knowledge of God, to learn more, to obey more, to to worship more, and to be more like God. Because we believe that God, what He says is true. We believe that we found the pearl of of great price in all of the earth. This is it. It's God. There's nothing out there that will delight us more. And when we cut ourselves off from God, we often think of it as God is suffering because we're not giving Him the glory and the honor that He deserves. But understand that we were created to give Him that glory, to look at Him as being that worthy. And when we fail in that, we are killing ourselves. We're cutting ourselves off from the very person that has given us life, that even at this second gives us breath. We don't just do God great harm, so to speak, when we fail to worship Him as He deserves. We do ourselves harm. We're cutting ourselves off of the satisfaction that our hearts long for, that our souls long for, that can only be found in the God of Scripture. So we want to spend our service this morning, the rest of our time, in praising this God. And then we get to fellowship and break bread together in obedience to this God. So I guess my my final, almost my final words would be, is your God too small?
Is your God too small? These are my final words. You are the people of God. And as a church, we are the people of God together. We are in covenant with God and therefore each other. And we stand and live and have our being in the God of truth. May God bless the preaching of his word.